and welcome back to another episode of the Heart Square podcast. In this episode, myself and Rob were joined by Adam Monks, who is CEO and co-founder of Smart Desks, and James Field, who is their customer strategy director. And we sat down and had a chat with them this in this episode all about how digital can enable hybrid working. Thanks, Ellie. Yeah, I think it's a really good topic because, um, I mean, obviously, for the reasons we all know, you know, hybrid working is very high on everyone's agenda, really. There's a lot of talk about kind of what the new model should look like. Uh, and the, you know, the key question, one of the key questions being about how, as you say, how digital, how technology can support whatever outcome you're looking for, actually. Um, and Adam and, and James Smart Desk do a load of work in that area for our clients. So it'd be really good to hear what, what their take on things is. Yeah, definitely. Um, so without further ado, we'll just get straight into the episode. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Adam and James. Thank you so much for joining myself and Rob on the Heart Square podcast today. It's really great to have you both join us. Um, before we get into the topic of um, how digital can enable hybrid working, um, I hope you could both just give a quick introduction to yourself and also a bit about Smart Desk, if that's okay. And if I could start with Adam, please, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks, Ellie. Thanks for thanks for having us today. Um, yeah, my name's Adam Monks. I'm the uh, Chief Exec and Co-Founder of SmartDesk. Um, we're uh, uh, an IT services company based in the uh, charity sector, so almost exclusively all of our customers in the, in the sector. Um, we are 10 years old uh, just uh, last month, and uh, we have 70 staff, and uh, we work with um, just under 50 uh, charities, so uh, a good a good breadth of, uh, of understanding what's going on uh, out there and, and sharing kind of sharing that knowledge across our, our customer base. Thanks, Adam. Um, I'm James Field, uh, Customer Strategy Director for SmartDesk. Um, so my role is really about helping the charities that we work with think about their IT strategy. Obviously, most charities don't have the luxury of in-house IT, um, and even those that do, um, those guys can find it really hard sometimes to put their head above the water and actually look strategically or from the top down at where they should be going for their technology and, and their roadmap. Um, we have the luxury, as Adam said at the beginning, of, of working with about 50 or so nonprofit organisations. And so all of that good practice and innovation um, and, and lessonry that we see across the sector, we're able to bring to these organisations um, and, and help them think about what is good practice, what does good look like and, and where they should be going. Um, we'll then bring in our other teams to then do those things like typically the cloud migrations, um, cybersecurity improvements, the IT help desk and that sort of thing, either complete outsourced or in, in a hybrid model alongside those in-house colleagues that I mentioned. And um, yeah, thanks for having us along today, Ellie. No problem. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. You know, I think it'd be good to, uh, to hear what, <coughs> excuse me, what you're seeing in the, in the conversation around like hybrid working and, and the technical solutions that you guys deploy etc so yeah it'd be really good to, to have a chat um i think maybe that's the place to start you know is that there is this contentious debate going on at the moment about kind of you know return to the office or hybrid working patterns what patterns should look like now um and yeah well i suppose the question is whether we should uh, return to a traditional way of working or um yeah what do you see and what, what do you think you can uh contribute in that area yeah sure um <laughs> I think certainly hybrid is here to stay. I would I would suggest. I think the um, 
the numbers of days in the office is is probably the thing that, uh, that that's being debated a little bit uh, across different organizations but you know whether that's uh, a total free-for-all in terms of you come in when you want to come in whether it's a day two days three days four days that you need to come in i think that's going to vary across uh, across organization to organization but um the important thing is to uh to support you know that the support that hybrid way of working because what however many days you're in there'll be you know i'm very very rarely in a meeting now if I'm in an office um, where everybody's in the meeting room or everybody's on Teams, it's it, it's largely now um, a number of people in a meeting room together and a number of people um, calling in from Teams. Um, so you've got to have that technology in place to make that hybrid meeting experience work well. Um, so I mean, we can yeah potentially get into that a little bit more um, in the conversation, but uh, I don't know if you'd. Uh, uh, have any thoughts on on that, James? Yeah, I, th I think it's obviously it's here to stay. I think there's there's um some of the the leaders that I speak to are trying to get their staff in more. Actually, um, they're trying to encourage people to come back in. There's almost uh, um, people aren't coming in enough, and and they obviously as a leadership team value that that in person collaboration. Um, so I think there's a it, it might be we might see people returning a little bit more over the next year or two. Um, but but technology is can be a big barrier to people coming in if it's fiddly and you have to faff around with your your workstation and completely change your configuration if you're at home or an office you just it's just going to put you off so you know it should be totally seamless and frictionless and, and that should hopefully encourage people to to come in and, and work a bit more often um, together yeah i think you've got to the it's almost like the technology needs to draw people back to the office then mm. Than, than, than promote remote working at this point it was mm -hmm. before the pandemic it was like let me show you how you can we can do this and you can have people working flexibly uh, but now it's it's flipped over hasn't it to okay everyone knows they can work from home so what's the point of coming in um, and mm -hmm. you need to show, you certainly don't want the, uh, the the experience to be to be less effective when you're in the office um, and that so that's the thing you really need to make sure you're getting right yeah, and I think that's the interesting point, Admiral, in fact, what both of you just said, because I agree, I, we're seeing, you know, um, leadership teams encouraging people back to the office, not full time, you know, nothing along those lines. Um, and where we've all got kind of comfortable with how we can work remotely, and we all know how, we all vaguely remember how to work in the office, but it is this kind of hybrid piece. Um, and Adam, you said that you know, most of your meetings now, there's a group of people in person together and a group of people remote. I think that's the one that actually, is it's it's still a challenge for some organizations i think to to be able to accommodate the hybrid model yeah we can all meet in person but then you have to be really structured about coming in yeah and we can all do you know a remote teams call zoom call whatever it might be whatever brand you choose fully remote it's that piece in the middle that i think uh and it's interesting you picked up on that because you're obviously seeing a very successful experience in that regard yeah, for sure. Um, it does take investment, though. I mean, doing, you know, we can all remember prior to uh, prior to the pandemic, you'd, you'd have pretty much everybody around the table physically, but then you might have one person dialing in on the phone and there'd be like a desk phone in the middle of the table and nobody could hear that person. They couldn't hear anything in the room either. Um, and it just didn't work at all. Now people accept it's got to be better, but there are degrees of, of how these things are being tackled, you know, and, 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 uh, 
And, and you know, I would argue that, that you should invest in your meeting rooms with the proper audiovisual equipment, uh, whether it's Teams room or, or Zoom room, you know, built into the, to the AV equipment in the room, making it very, very easy for people to use it. So with Teams rooms and Zoom rooms, for example, you can start the meeting straight from uh, the touchpad in the room. You don't need to even connect a laptop at all. Um, or you can have the option to connect the laptop if you're joining somebody else's external meeting, if it's on WebEx or Google Meet or such like. So, so it needs to, the meeting room needs to support all technologies through that, through, through that way. But equally, if you're a Teams organization or you're a Zoom organization, you can have that real ease of use where you book the room, the room knows it's in the meeting and you walk in and tap one button on the, uh, on the touchpad and away you go. And it's that, it's that ease of use that gives, gives your staff kind of the confidence that they can run those meetings and making sure that, you know, the sort of touched on earlier, the room's properly mic'd up um, and, uh, and the speakers are, are good enough for everybody to hear what's going on. Webcams can, you know, do, do cool things now, like track the person that's speaking and uh, sort of automatically zoom in and out. And you can look like a bit of a news reader at the start of the meeting when you suddenly get a dramatic zoom in from the, uh, from the webcam. But, you know, there's, 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 as I say, there's degrees of this technology. So all of that cool stuff's available for, for those that really do a lot of those hybrid meetings need to get them right because, uh, 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 because they're, you know, talking to, talking to funders or, or whatever it may be. Um, other organisations on tighter budgets, there, there, there is some, some good mid-range mid uh, technology out there now that we've, uh, we've implemented for some of our uh, smaller, medium-sized customers as well. Actually, James, you might be able to, to talk to that um, on, on, a, on a couple of those that, that we've done. Yeah, there, there are a couple of um, kind of out-of-the-box, uh, all-in-one video conference solutions now so you video you can end that you can blink and spend a hundred thousand pounds on a video vc consultant who would overspec stuff um and and you on the other way you can just have a, a milk crate and a webcam and no one can hear you so it's kind of that balance but th that that market as you might expect has really um matured a lot over the last two years um so logitech um make a really good um logitech group it's called they make a really good kind of um all in, in one box kind of solution where it's a webcam a microphone and a little um extension microphone you can put down the other end of the table um and it's perfect for, for a you know medium-sized organization where you've got a little room of maybe eight to twelve people really good value i think it's about 900 quid or something like that not you know not insignificant but but also not not tens of thousands um microsoft actually themselves have um teams compatible uh, they've worked with vendors like logitech um to actually come up with um different size packages for your meeting rooms and they're all just kind of you know you buy what you buy it once you set it up in the room and, and it's um excellent for hybrid meetings so you don't have to kind of do everything bespoke now you can just buy off the shelf packages from these from these vendors and they're all sized per the size of the meeting room yeah and our our, our charity Customers are, are always really happy to help each other out in terms of sharing yeah. their knowledge on, well, most things really, but this type of thing, you know, visiting one another's office just to see a couple of these things in practice is, is always an available route for, uh, for organisations to consider if they want to go and see, you know, what's available at the sort of top end of this stuff and, and, and at the mid-range as well. You know, go, go, go and have a look, go and have a play with it. Uh, either, you know, you'll have a friendly charity that will let that for the um 
you know, you know certainly we can help with uh, taking you to, to, you know, they have showrooms and things as well, so you can go and play with it um, uh, uh, as well. But uh, yeah, so some options there for, for different uh, degrees of, uh, of, uh, of quality and expense on this, on this stuff. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think there is a perception, certainly with the people that I talk to, that um, that hybrid moving capability is does exist and it is out there now and it's being deployed, but that it comes with a significant price tag, um, and hence it's a bit of a barrier for people when. Well, certainly it's a yeah, it's a, it's a significant consideration for people when they are looking at what this working model can look like and how it can work, and without knowing that that's that the technical capability supports a good experience the way you've been describing, they're then thinking that they have to get really structured on, you know, okay, everyone comes in Monday, Wednesday morning, et cetera. So we're losing that kind of the benefit of the flexibility. So yeah. Yeah, but your experience yeah, is very I think, um, I think also, yeah, and, and sorry to cut in there, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right in terms of that. There are there are mid, mid-market solutions like I mentioned that Logitech group I'm not a Logitech salesman by the way but um, it just works really well and it's and it is relatively affordable um, and I think that the, the other barriers around um, making it easy to work is things like staff have a laptop and you just have USB-C docks on your desks and they just come in all desks just have one single USB-C cable you plug it in it connects your two screens and it charges your laptop and you just work staff don't even need to bring in the charger you know they just have a rucksack in their laptop um, it's really really lightweight they just can work from any desk they want that kind of technology they take that same laptop home they've got the same USB-C dock 100 quid you know they're at home that they've got their home monitor and they just plug in that's what we do at our, in our office and it just makes it incredibly easy to go to and fro you don't have to worry about structuring it you can get into desk booking systems you know we, we've helped a couple of charities um, put together a basic desk booking system using microsoft power platform um, instead of the dreaded excel spreadsheet that, that is always out of date so you can do that really cheaply there are templates now for um desk booking systems in power platform and that license that functionality is included in most subscriptions already for the charities like business premium microsoft 365 um so that these problems are pretty easy to solve with a little bit of thought and a little bit of planning no i was just going to say again degrees of these things at the more sort of top end of the, of the desk booking world then you can um you know there's the condecos of this world and things like that where um you can then see a map of the of the of the office plan and you can hover over the desks and see who's sitting where on any particular day. So again, you can kind of plan your week a little bit around who's in. Or you know, I've very cheekily thought I've, I've been chasing that guy for uh, <laughs> for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to go and, uh, next to them to, today and get that thing uh, get that thing uh, sorted out. But um, no, I mean, um, and, and that's I mean, moving away from sort of meeting rooms, sort of, that's the other thing with the the office more broadly is making it attractive in terms of some considering some zoning. You know, make you know, it's not all just normal desks. It's there are some bookable desks. Yes. But there are desks that are that aren't bookable. So people who are because people are different, aren't they? Some people really like to know where they're going to sit, and that makes them feel comfortable. Other people like to be, um, you, you know, that don't necessarily want to kind of log in and organise themselves the night before. A bit like me, I'd rather just kind of turn up and and see where I can can sling my stuff. Um, and and also even um, considering kind of. Uh, you know, is there a quiet zone? Is there a social zone? Is there a collaboration zone? And 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 you know, they use more and more uh, 
charities we're working with are doing doing some really interesting things with the with the layout in the office to to make it mm. you know, a, a, an, an appealing place to be yeah interesting which comes back to that point about experience doesn't it about the experience that an you know, employee has when they come into the office and i think we'll, we'll move on but i do think there's something in there that you said uh, actually james as well about with the docking stations and stuff like that it's in there but explicitly to what you're saying actually is it you can get to that one device model so which which for ease of use convenience flexibility is perfect isn't it if i can you know be working at home and literally just take the same device plug it in in a new location and continue with the same experience that's fantastic because for all the syncing between accounts in the world there's nothing quite like having your own computer uh, I, I find and i don't i think i'm not alone um no definitely and actually that you know that's the beauty of uh, USB-C that modern laptops have this one type of connector and all modern laptops have it you know um, I'm talking two, two years plus old they all have it so it almost doesn't matter if it's different makes and models it used to be you had to have a Dell locking docking station for a Dell laptop and it was an absolute nightmare yeah. but now this is it is a universal standard and all modern laptops work with it so we have a mishmash of laptops at smart desk and we just come in and just plug it in one cable done and they, the person takes it home there's, there's maybe we can come on to the other bits and pieces later on around how you can actually manage those devices centrally because a lot of charities miss a trick there and don't realize that some of these tool sets can that are included in a lot of their subscriptions already can actually take the headache out of things like setting up a new laptop um you know that's the kind of olden days of having to um, bring it into the office and have your IT person come and set it up for two hours. Then you put it in a box and ship it to the person at home because they, they don't come in the office. Those problems are all solved now with some of the Microsoft 365 technologies where it's completely automated. So it can go from the factory straight to the person's home. It's pre-registered with your organization's um, serial number, your kind of details. When that person gets it out of the box, plugs it in and connects it to their home Wi-Fi, which they can do, you know, people are used to doing that it then recognizes it as, oh, hey, I'm X charity's laptop. I belong to this organization. I'm going to configure myself in that charity setup with their desktop, their settings, their security, their um, desktop background, you know, the app, their applications, their CRM shortcut. It does it all automatically um, through Microsoft 365. And, and that's not even a paid for feature. That's actually included in the subscription. Um, and that just massively simplifies that whole, that whole process of laptop distribution to new starters. Um, it's just so rarely configured. So that's where, you know, yeah. those, adding in those little bits just make it scalable and more manageable. And uh, your point, Rob, on sort of having your own laptop, I think we've we, we've uh, heard that as well, sort of uh, across the board, really. When we when, If we're doing a big infrastructure transformation uh, for, for a customer, then we like to go out and um, and do a discovery first, and, and actually ask the staff kind of what's working well, what do they want to see with their technology sort of going forward, and invariably it is now a move away from kind of remote desktops and uh, and those sorts of remote desktop services, which were always the norm because everything has to be secured on central servers and so forth. And now because of these Microsoft tools that James has described, um, those laptops can be secured. Uh, from the cloud and the data on those laptops can be secured uh, and we can get central sight of it on the laptop devices themselves. So that then unlocks the ability for everybody to be able to work locally on the desktop, which really is the best experience because if you're in Teams 75% of the day, you need that to work well. And that's, you know, historically has not worked so well on, on things like virtual desktops. So 
So yeah, end users are happier now. So it's great. <laughs> and, and actually the support volumes for, for our help desk teams or our charities help desk teams, they've gone really come down. You know, you, you really, you know, um, uh, if, if, you know, making the case for investment because you do need to give people, you know, decent laptops at, at this point. Um, you know, you can prove that kind of ROI on on, on those support volumes actually uh, coming right down. If people have got, you know, a good laptop, they're working locally on it and, you know, they're walking around and they plug and play with it, then, uh, yeah, we've seen up to kind of 50% drop off in, in support ticket with some of the organisations where we've done, a, done this type of uh, infrastructure transformation. So, yeah, it really, really can make a big impact. And it's, yeah, it was interesting to hear that that's your uh, your view as well, that there's nothing to really beat your own your own laptop uh, and work it yeah. out. Yeah, I think you just get used to the device and stuff, don't you? But I mean, talking about impact, and it's really interesting hearing what you're saying about your support desk there as well, because one of the things we wanted to talk about a little bit about today was kind of what's changed for, let's say, for an IT team. You know, a lot, the world has changed, right, since 2020. But everything we've been talking about, you know, infrastructure, configuration, support services now, you know, you're saying has an impact on our view, of, our traditional view of an IT team um, and actually maybe the infrastructure they support. So you, you guys are in, are in the front line of that, um, of that conversation as well. I mean, what are you seeing? How, how are you seeing the, 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 IT, the role of an IT team evolving and being seen to be needed within charities now that need to be? Yeah. I mean, again, we've got lockdown to thank a little bit for the for the acceleration of, of cloud adoption. Um, in, infrastructure is is solved largely. Um, you know, you 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 should have your infrastructure uh, in the cloud at this point. You shouldn't need to have servers uh, on site that are, that, that are take a lot of uh, support time. Um, and that then really does, you know, for, for years, IT teams have wanted to be, you know, and have talked about being more proactive, but I'm actually genuinely seeing that now. Um, and it's really quite an exciting kind of time to be involved in it because the, you know, as long as it's executed well, you, you obviously need, need it executed well if you're doing a, doing a migration, a server migration into, into Azure or something like that. There are frameworks, you know, do use, do, do use experts to... Uh, to do that piece um, mm. but once that's there then then the, the the support of that layer at least of of that stack is is removed um, and yeah it's freeing up uh, it's freeing up IT teams and and then what that shift is then is, is that is, is being proactive it's actually being able to go out to the organization and look for look for business uh, business problems to help solve spending more time on, on user adoption, user upskilling, um, and really, you know, uh, pushing that, that user training uh, piece. Um, and then, yeah, looking at how we can work as essentially as a shift from a kind of a, a cost center and keep the lights on team to a real kind of mission acceleration kind of team. Let's go and see how we can help. Let's make you more confident with the tools. Let's show you how to use them let work with you on something where we can automate something with you. And then you can kind of, you know, do your internal case study at the organization, hopefully get a bit of a, a bit of a snowball with it. And so also I suppose working more closely with those at bigger organizations, 
um, that, that have the luxury of having kind of organizational change teams and, and learning development teams and things like that, working very much in working groups uh, and matrix teams with those teams to you know, be part of that organizational change, culture transformation uh, work that's going on. So that's a lot of kind of my time in, in, in those things now and encouraging IT teams uh, to, to have, you know, to, to make that shift and that focus on uh, uh, going out and helping, helping the users, helping the staff. Yeah. I think I'll maybe just add to that. Um, the, the, probably the, one of the questions I get asked the most actually is, is how we can get our systems talking to one another. And, that, and that's probably a, a topic that, you know, the, the changing role of the IT team, where we've moved away from kind of centralized servers and um, everything running in one place to it exploding onto the cloud, and, and which has been amazing for taking away those downtime headaches that we used to have sleepless nights about the server going down that dreaded problem you know, that that's solved but then we've now got um a typical charity might use like 12 15 20 different cloud-based applications all through web browsers they're all separate um, and you've got all of this good data going 12 ways and, and how do we actually bring that back to um looking across those systems so that you're getting a single pane of glass view of your data and your analytics and your impacts and it's a real headache because they these um software vendors all proudly say yes we offer integration but actually when you dig a little bit deeper they don't really they just have a, a, a framework within which you can plug in other systems to but if your other system doesn't meet your current systems um, kind of schematics and layout then they they won't talk to each other so that's when you start to need things like middleware as it's called so power bi probably some some listeners might have heard of that is a classic example where it can a tool that can take data streams from kind of 10 whatever 20 different sources and then map that into a single database and then report on it. So that's a, a really kind of hot area at the moment because of this explosion of, um, of cloud systems to try and get a central view of all of that data. Yeah, that's really, again, really interesting because there's, there's something cyclical there, isn't there? Because charities particularly, I think, have traditionally been, uh, <coughs> had like data dotted all around the place using very kind of very focused, very point solutions for each kind of discrete piece of each task almost activity they wanted to do there was a wave then probably in the mid 2010s something like that of, of organizations seeing the, the challenge with that and starting to try and centralize and bring things back into one solution let's call it that and that that brings its own <coughs> challenges because that doesn't work exactly the way anybody wants right it's everyone's compromised mm. um what you're seeing then is like you say there's then a pro proliferation of cloud-based systems which are far harder to control because anybody can spin one up right as in sign up for one um but you're seeing the conversation now turn into how you how you allow that which enables your workforce but you capture the data you centralize and then can put the data to work for the charity as a whole that's my kind of playback on what you've said is that yeah yeah absolutely and and i think that's probably you know that this this kind of middleware layer that um that um you know like power bi or zapier is another one they've got yeah. more affordable more flexible you don't need coding skills particularly you, you would probably need to use a consultant to set something up um at first but actually it's becoming a bit easier now to get all of these pots of data from different systems talking to one another in a central place there are phrases like data warehouses now or data lakes the concepts that you know all of these different sources it doesn't kind of matter they all just pour into this central lake which is kind of just can be limitless it's vast but then you can report on that so you're kind of 
well, I don't know what the acronym is, you're sort of centralizing your data output, even though you're using like five or six different systems at once, it kind of doesn't matter. So you're not restricting the end user to one clunky remote desktop system. But it takes a lot of uh, doing that, getting there, getting there. The journey yeah, yeah. is easy. Um, and I think the, I think there's a, all, all organizations want that. They want to be, what they call IDOs, insight-driven organization. Um, but I think there's still quite a lot of education to go on with kind of leadership teams, boards and stuff about what it actually takes to, to get there. And one of the things that, I mean, organizations are at different stages in the journey of this. You know, some, some organizations are, are there, some organizations are somewhere through it. Some organizations are kind of don't really know where to start as well. And um, what, one thing I've, I've been seeing more and more is, is being asked about data and organizations not having any sort of data capability at all. Um, and then, you know, us having a conversation, making the case for thinking about data a bit like IT now. You need, you know, you need people, whether it's a team, whether it's a partner, but, you know, you've always had IT teams and, and that's understood. But now you need a data team, and 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 there's not really any question of that in my mind. Um, but for, for but for some organisations, that's still quite a new thing to consider, like a new concept and a new area they need to invest in. Which in charities is always difficult because you want your money going towards your charitable aims, and anything that's that that's centralised as in the cost is, is is a difficult thing to kind of get through. But it's yeah, hopefully those kind of um, DOOs and 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 uh, and uh, resource directors and and chief execs that I guess need to uh, make the case for uh, investing in something over quite a long term strategy, putting those foundations in place, and and you know saying yeah, look, here's a business case, this is what it's going to take, and actually you might not really see very much back in the first twelve to eighteen months, and then you're going to but but it's once you've got those foundations in. And you know the proper teams around it, the experts that know how to operate it, then it really is. It really will revolutionise you know your organisation. But it's because it's a big investment and it takes time that it's hard. You know, it, it, the, the temptation can be to do a little bit towards it and spend a little bit um, and, and try and get there. But that can be you know that that can be really tough to actually make that transformation that they're after. Yeah, so I guess the key there, as you've described it, because they say there's a lot, there's a lot of setup and transition, transition, transformation to get from where we are to where we want to be, right? So when you're looking at return on investment, which the business case has to um, describe, is it about taking that long? You have to have the long view. You have to be strategic, understand upfront investment, and then play back across different areas, like you know, whether it's managed services, whether it's having data teams, you know, just overall, you, you, yeah. Is that where I suppose I've changed the question? How does a profit, how does a non-profit, a DOO or whatever, you know, actually how do they go about calculating the ROI, I guess, of these kinds of investments? Yeah, I think it's I think it's yeah, there's probably a couple of ways to do it, but I mean I in in the vast majority of charities, people are the most expensive thing on the on the sort of balance sheet. So investing in ways to make those people more more effective um, and also make decision make, making 
um, more likely to, uh, to be successful, which is obviously what data does, um, is the way to think about it. So, you know, if you, if you, if you consider the cost of your people and frame it in that way, and actually what you're doing here is giving them all 10% more productivity, for example, then, then that should hopefully be, you know, what, what people can identify as value in doing this. And you can then break, break down into that. There are ways of, you know, like we talked about before about the, the support ticket reduction, there are ways, you know, if you agree some measures from the outset that can go, go into the business case, then you should be able to measure and prove those things. Um, and whether that's to get across kind of the organization more broadly. But Microsoft used a term for, uh, of, uh, I can't remember what it was they were, uh, they were referencing. It was something to do with hybrid working, but they, they described it as the, the aggregation of marginal gains, which <laughs> was a really nice term oh, to think about. <laughs> <laughs> all, these, all these little steps forward everywhere. And then yeah. the cumulative effect of that is is significant for you as an organization so you do need to go out and find like all these areas that you're going to improve and measure those and then kind of what's the cumulative uh, effect of that but um but yeah in answer to your, your, your sort of original question i think you know you've got to be prepared to back your uh, uh your colleague who's going to make that sort of data transformation and do it with them over a kind of two to three year period um, yeah. and support them in doing that. I think looking for, for, for anything happening overnight is difficult. Well, particularly for the bigger organisations, it is a, a more straightforward, obviously. And I mean, it's always difficult in any organisation, but, but in, uh, in smaller organisations, you know, I don't want to put off anyone in a you know, 20 person organisation that thinks they need a method data team or anything like that. That's more, you know, where you can actually just make those, from, I, I think, more sort of ground up uh, approach to um, you know work with one team and, and automate something or, or build them something in, in Power BI have some insight um, and then kind of you know uh, show that show that case study uh, uh, in the organisation and hopefully build something up a bit from the ground up rather than necessarily a kind of a, a, a top down major transformation which can you know comes with comes comes with its risks obviously so uh, yeah top top down and bottom up approaches depending on kind of culture, I suppose, a little bit, size of organisation, a little bit, appetite, all those things. Yeah. Yeah, and like you say, it's about what's appropriate for any given organisation, isn't it? Hence, it's not like a one-size-fits-all. You've got to actually yeah. work it through. Yeah, probably for another day, because I'm, I'm conscious of time, but there was something in there also, I wonder about, it's probably just an extension too far, but about whether organisations have kind of calculate the cost of making better decisions, the cost differential be of making better decisions. Yeah, you make fewer mistakes, you make more more informed decisions. Yeah, um, you therefore waste less time, make yeah, get fewer things wrong. Um, yeah. you think you could, you you'd, you'd think you could, if you had, you know, with the uh, with the with the time, uh, if, if you had the time or whatever. But yeah, as it, as you say, it'd be a hugely worthwhile exercise. No reason why you couldn't look back, could you, as an organisation, and go through your. Uh, Go, go through your last five years of, of, of decision making and, and project delivery and then come up with a bit of a success rate and then try and uh, try and measure that through. Yeah, we've all heard the um, if I knew then what I know now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, um, you know, touching on that point about, you know, having the long view as well, it's something we sort of bring to um, at the end of um, the podcast episodes as well, is just exploring some of the trends that are upcoming in the sector, what people should be aware of. Um, you know, everyone's trying to get ahead of the next thing. Um, but it, I just wanted to get from you both your opinion on what trends, if you like, whether that's in with, within hybrid working, the technology associated, or just more generally across the charity sector that you see, what are some of the, some of the upcoming trends, challenges um, that you see and think others should be aware of, really? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've come in here, James, you know, to, 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 with your view, but we, we've touched on a lot of them. You know, being being insight driven and and more data led, we've touched on sort of automation um, and uh, and the fact that you know the exciting thing there, as you were describing earlier, James, is that those technologies are now available for small and medium sized organisations. That stuff was completely out of reach uh, unless you were some sort of global corporate, as recently as you know five five ten years ago. Um, so so now that infrastructure is solved in inverted commas. Then uh, you know that's that's where again the IT team shifts to looking at that kind of automation stuff and supporting our data colleagues. You know, smart desk aren't a, aren't a data agency; we're an infrastructure uh, agency. But we work we're working more and more closely with data teams um, because we need to spin them up their servers in Azure, make sure they're secure, uh, make sure it's cost effective as well because you can. Uh, you can get the cloud wrong and uh, start to uh, start to spend uh, a lot of money in there. So making sure it's all co- uh, cost effective as well. And probably the only other one I'd call out is um, that we're seeing more organisations um, looking to use partners for things. I think that is, you know, there was a time where sort of outsourcing was a taboo and, and, and that sort of thing. I mean, for us personally, we do a kind of a modular type thing. So we work in, in a matrix way more often than not with the with the larger organizations, with the smaller organizations, they might want to kind of outsource the whole the whole piece. But with a medium and, and large size organization, they can kind of pick and choose different different roles, different capabilities for us to sort of slot in with their existing teams with. But that conversation seems to be seems to be sort of uh, easier, to be honest, now. So seeing a bit of a trend for that being being a way to uh, to, to accelerate um, and, and really kind of make a bit of a transformation where things have, have potentially been, been been a little slow. Yeah, I'd probably add on to that. There's um, optimizing your your infrastructure and and your cloud setup is a big theme and a and trend at the moment. You know, we've all there's been so much as you said at the beginning, Adam. There's been so much good innovation through the lot through the pandemic. Um, but it kind of resulted in this explosion onto the cloud because we had to. And now everyone's kind of thinking, right, well, we've now got 10 different um, shared file systems like Dropbox and SharePoint and OneDrive and all that stuff. How do we actually bring that into one place and, and rationalize, consolidate and optimize it? And how do we manage a staff base of 150 people all with laptops working all over the country on their home internet lines and um, as I said at the start um, you know tools like autopilot Microsoft Intune these are uh, are very low cost or free in some cases tools that can properly manage all of your your IT estate from the cloud and give staff a consistent experience from home or office so that optimization opportunity now is is there and it really actually frees up your IT team and um, frees up staff time to be more efficient and look at things like um, what we're doing with our data and how our systems are talking to each other. So, you know, investing now in, in just consolidating and optimizing your current setup is 
money well spent, I would say. Um, and and the second thing from from where I sit is the whole cyber debate, and and that's um you know it's just more than ever um, a topic, and the the dreaded trustee question at, at the board meeting where they say what are we doing uh, for cyber security. Um, and the chief exec sort of scratches their heads and then normally sends us an email. It, it's a really difficult one to, to answer that, isn't it? Because it's such a broad topic and it's also quite specialist. Um, so I think there are there are certain things. And my, my sort of um, ethos on this is always really around cyber is that good cyber security is really making yourself, your organisation less appealing than the next person. You know, it's as simple as that. If, if you can um, follow a, a baseline set of um good practice for your cybersecurity, really you're ahead of the pack. And 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 you know, if if they want if you want to be attacked, if, if sorry, if you're really targeted, you will be. And there's not much you can do about that. But you can certainly cut out your, your or reduce your risk right down by just making yourself less appealing. So the cyber essential scheme is is a no-brainer, really. That's a very good minimum standard of cybersecurity um, quality. And it's it's created by the NCSC, the National Cybercrime Center. It's a government initiative. Um, it's quite light touch, but it's a really good belts and braces minimum standard. Um, and then there are things like the, the National Cybercrime Centre 10 steps. So if you just Google NCSC 10 steps, um, really good framework, which just asks questions. No matter what size of organisation you are, they would apply. What do we do for this, this, this and this across these 10 areas? And if you can meet those standards, you'll really be in a, in a decent shape. You can then move on to things like ISO 27001 and Cyber Central Plus, et cetera. But just get those basics right um, and, and make yourself less appealing is definitely a, a, an area what we're trying to help a lot of charities get to at the moment. Yeah, yeah that was the, yeah, go on, carry on. No, I was going to say, it's just a really good trend to, to call out, actually. I mean, there's been a, an increase in uh, in ransomware attacks as uh, yeah. you know the threats worse than ever and it, yeah there is there has been a shift in the organizations we work with to invest more in in security so again that conversation is, is getting easier as well to to invest in that stuff because you know there are unfortunately these case studies you never want to uh, to, to hear about of, of charities you know being completely taken down by by a ransomware attack so uh, so yeah, it's an area. It is a real trend that, that the investment's going up uh, in that area. And just picking up your point very quickly on the on the sort of uh, conversation at the board. One of the things NCSC calls out as well is to to make sure you've got a bit of a kind of golden thread of accountability for cyber security mm -hmm. running through your organisation. So you should know who's accountable for it at the operational level, who's the sort of accountable head, and who on the board is accountable for it. And, uh, and really have that thread tied right through and, and the board should know it should be a board paper um you know quarterly uh, uh coming uh, that the board decided on uh, at this point and that's the level of importance for it you know you, it, it's natural that you look at the finance report there i would argue that you want to look at your cyber security report there as well because of the significant impact it can have if if unfortunate and each of your applications needs to have a, a data protection impact assessment and there needs to be an application owner assigned from the business to each one and, and, and part of their ownership of that application isn't just about the quality of the data and how it's used etc is also who's asking the question of how secure that application is is it using two-factor authentication does it have single sign-on with our office 365 so that it's easier to log into all those kind of things so that um you know it can't all roll down the hill to it um to then suddenly 
um, say, well, why has um, Salesforce been hacked and why are we using it? Well, actually, the you know, IT weren't even involved in that initial discussion. So it is a kind of a joined up thing, as you said, Adam, like that, that accountability thread weaving through the whole organization. We could do a whole other podcast on cybersecurity, <laughs> couldn't we? But we could. there's so we much could. to go for. We could, yeah. But we need to be proactive as IT teams, I think, to take responsibility for the whole organization, yeah. IT security, and we just need to push uh, more to get on the agendas. Um, and, and, you know, as we, I was saying earlier, now we've got all the time in the world. <laughs> we can be that, right? I do, I do hold that quote, infrastructure is sold, you said. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> Take away. So, cool. That's great. No, that's something we're seeing a lot of, actually, um, as well, you know, um, the threat around cyber security and people's concerns around it. So it's, yeah, really great to get your thoughts and sort of practical um, sort of tips on that one, which is really great. So thank you for that. And I, I'm just conscious of time. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of our podcast with you today. I know, obviously, we could talk loads more about all the various different things um, that we spoke about cybersecurity, you know, hybrid working and all of that. But um, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate and, um, you know, you're sharing your thoughts and expertise on these topics. So thank you. Great. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks guys. So we really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was really great to have Adam and James join us on the podcast. And it was really great to hear their thoughts on hybrid working and how they have seen it change, particularly in the charity sector. Um, and really get their expertise on how technology can really enable us to work in a hybrid way effectively. Um, I especially like the line um, that Adam, I think it was Adam used around technology needs, uh, needs to draw people back to the office, which I thought was very interesting and really highlights that challenge now around hybrid working. Um, but was there anything in particular you picked up from the conversation, Rob? I think, yeah, your point early, the, the line you put out from Adam is really, uh, a really good one. I think for me, it was talking about uh, the impact, you know, the ROI um, of moving to a, a managed services um, offering and the impact that can have. Um, and actually some real reassurance, I think, for IT teams, IT uh, professionals listening, that it is about changing their role so that they can really you know, add more and more value to the to their nonprofit um, rather than it being a kind of functional operational role. So there's nothing to be scared of, you know, it's to be embraced by all parties um, and can really, yeah, really can pay dividends for, for a non-profit investor in it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was a really great episode all in all. So if you did enjoy this episode as much as we did, be sure to leave a re us a review and better still subscribe so you get notified of our latest episodes. Don't forget, as always, you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching HeartSquare, where you'll find loads more content on leadership, digital, culture and capability. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.